0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
2: Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the New Books Network. I'm your host, Steven Siegel. And today's guest on our show for New Books, Jewish Studies, and New Books, Eastern European Studies, is Natalia Alekshoun. She has a new book, and it's called Conscious History, Polish-Jewish Historians Before the Holocaust, published by Liverpool University Press and the Littman Library of Jewish Civilization 2021. Welcome, Natalia, and thanks for joining us on the podcast here at New Books Network today.
1: Hi, Stephen. Thank you for having me.
2: So uh, we're going to get started right away uh, after I introduce Natalia's bio. Natalia Aleksyun is Professor of Modern Jewish History at the Graduate School of Jewish Studies, Toro College, New York. She published Where To?, the Zionist Movement in Poland, 1944 to 1950, and co-edited two volumes of Poland examining Holocaust memory and Jewish historiography. She has recently published a critical edition of The Destruction of the Zhokiev Jews by Gershon Tafet. And this book, uh, Conscious History, is out uh, 2021. As I mentioned, she's also preparing a volume of Poland devoted to Jewish childhoods, children, and child-rearing in Eastern Europe. Um, Natalia is completing two books, and and we'll talk about this toward the end, on Jewish medical students in East Central Europe, and also on daily life in hiding in Eastern Galicia. She is the co-editor-in-chief of a great journal uh, that I read a lot, East European Jewish Affairs. So let's start with your motivation, Natalia. This is a a monumental book and there's so much in it. What motivated you to to write it? Was this your doctoral dissertation?
1: This, yes, indeed, it was my doctoral dissertation. And um, it actually started with a seminar that I took at NYU many years ago, uh, but uh, this was encountering history of historiography and thinking about history writing as an exciting, uh, interesting lens uh, into, into social and intellectual uh, uh, Jewish history. And I read, um, I remember for that seminar, I read David Myers' Reinventing the Jewish Past, European Jewish Intellectuals and Designers Return to History, And I thought over coffee, um, um, what would happen if uh, that kind of thinking about historical writing and historical biographies was applied to Eastern European Jewish historians and more specifically uh, to Polish Jewish historians? Uh, So this is how the project uh, started. And only years into it, I actually started realizing that while it was an intellectual curiosity and a challenge, that was also something that had an autobiographical aspect to it, all connections that um, I only put into the frame later on because I was my first my first institution where I was trained was University of Warsaw. I studied at the Institute of History where, in fact, my heroes, many of the protagonists in my book uh, had uh, studied uh, in the 1920s and 1930s. So only later did I realize that, you know, we were sitting at the same uh, tables in the in the history uh, in the historical library, and likely um, going to the same uh, rooms uh, in the old building of the Warsaw University Library. Uh, but it started with somebody else's uh, great, exciting, insightful book.
2: Mm-hmm. And so, for our listeners, what what in your mind, in your opinion? Is the Polish Jewish intelligentsia how how do you conceive of it? What are its origins? When was it formed?
1: No, this is a great great question. So, it in a way um, when we look at Polish Jewish intelligentsia in its um, early uh, early generation when it emerges, it, it's at the same time closely connected or tied into the emergence of non-Jewish general Polish intelligentsia. It's the second half of the 19th century uh, and the processes of um, urbanization and industrialization and modernization and the increasing access to universities, although for um jews in some parts of partitioned poland and this is an important political context both for the emergence of polish intelligentsia and for the emergence of um polish jewish intelligentsia is that it's happening in a context of a vacuum in terms Mm -hmm. of a state independent state um but it's it's a generation of Men uh, who are um, um, encountering new um, new professional opportunities, but also closely connected, and I think that in that sense, uh, it shares a certain a certain uh, mentality with Russian uh, intelligentsia. There is also a great sense of mission of mm. uh, a need to not just have a career connected to a certain status and, and education, but also to change the society, to improve the society, to speak to the people, as it were. And mm. so um, Polish-Jewish uh, intelligentsia, to a large extent, um, seeks ways, um, and this is not just one way, but it is, it begins uh, participating in a variety of conversations. Some of them are closely connected to, to, to Jewish um, uh, community. It's speaking to the Jewish community, about Jewish community, but it is also connected to broader uh, Polish, uh, Eastern European and and um, Uh, and universal conversations about progress and education and rights and and the role of the state. Um, And historians are a part of it. Um, So in fact, much has been written about some um, parts of uh, Polish Jewish intelligentsia, uh, lawyers, physicians, uh, but, but historians are a strange creature because they are Mostly uh, in the 19th century, second half of 19th century, they're actually trained as lawyers um, mm-hmm. and they do history as a side to their other professions. And so um, the book, um, and I know we'll talk about it later, but the book is particularly interested uh, in the time and place where doing history becomes in a way a full time intellectual Job, as it were, and and mission at the same time.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that really is another question for me about the development of the profession. So, uh, my next question for you is about a kind of canon, or I I don't know if I would describe it as as a canon exactly, but initially in the world of, of Polish Enlightenment projects and this very multifaceted romantic nationalism. Um, there were a number of non-Jewish Polish historians who, who called for interest, right, in, in the so-called Jewish question or Kwestia Żydowska, as it, as it may have been called. Were you drawn to any specific historians, Polish Jewish or Polish non-Jewish historians, toward the end of the 18th century and early 19th century? What, and and why, you know, why were you drawn to them, I guess, is my, is my question
1: i was i was um what i found interesting in that um initial uh emerging uh, discussion uh, and the production of knowledge um was in fact what you had just mentioned that it was a subject um that was considered extremely contemporary and important for polands future uh, and in that sense for the polish question um as um as the conversation was happening in uh, happening um in the last years of uh, of the polish lithuanian commonwealth and throughout the partitions years um but that in that conversations both emerging polish and polish jewish intelligentsia participated and in some ways what i found Surprising, I think, is that um, in some of the writings of the Polish non-Jewish um, authors, uh, the anti-Semitic tropes uh, are not very veiled. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the, the conversation yeah. about Jewish domination, uh, the conversation about excess of autonomy that Jews had ex- uh, experience this whole trope of uh, Polish um, hospitality that um, mm. allegedly turned um, against the uh, against Poland because Jews kind of extended and expanded beyond uh, what really was right, um, but at the same time. Um, I guess for the lack of of historical writing these writings were a point of reference for uh, for Jewish historians both at the time and later they were not really treated as um, problematic um, problematic expressions of um of bias uh, mm-hmm. they were of course criticized but in a way there was a this was a conversation in which um uh, in which both jewish and 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 non-jewish poles, as it were uh, participated and even um those uh, jewish historians that represented in a way um the second path of Jewish intelligentsia, uh, not necessarily acculturated um, uh, men of letters, but um, traditional uh, Jews, often with um, traditional education uh, Mm -hmm. and autodidacts in other ways, um, they were also referring to these Polish non-Jewish authors. So this kind of shared shared conversation about the past with all the flaws and all the mm-hmm. shortcomings uh I thought that was interesting for for the emerging um body of literature but also tropes and and, and yeah, yeah. questions
2: yeah I, I mean I like I like that answer because I think often in the framing of, of privileges legal privileges legal rights there there's almost an obsession sometimes in multi Volume histories about the excess, so-called the excess of influence, um, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. I, I would actually um, like if you might introduce our listeners to some of the monumental history writers. You, you have Kraushar, for example, Historija um I, I guess you know Chotsky. Who who are these historians? For those of our listeners who who may not have. You know, spend time reading all of their volumes because they're they're, they're huge. Well,
1: I bugged. hope they catch up on uh, on this over We're, the weekend. Um, exactly,
2: we need to well, go to the university library. And, you know, who,
1: they who, who, will who likely they? be dusted volumes. Uh, well, uh, I think that Chatsky, in some ways, uh, maybe stands for. Um, a lot of interesting aspects of 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 this literature because he publishes his um uh, treaties on a uh, treaty on a jewish question on, on jews actually and carites uh, um in uh in the first decade of the 19th century and this is very much still in the context of uh, may 3rd um 1791 uh, constitution, the failed attempt of um, reforming the state uh, ahead of uh, the second and third partition. Um, and so he, in a way, bridges between the uh, Commonwealth um, you know, nobility um, um, who Take who takes interest in the questions that they see as connected for the uh, well-being of the country as the country disappears from the map of Europe. And I know the map is a very important <laughs> word for yeah. you. Um, and so uh, the way that Chatsky frames his uh, treaty is, uh, Precisely touching on some of these uh, um, moments that that you and I mentioned, uh, which is uh, Jewish autonomy, you know, recognizing or stressing that Jews in in the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth enjoyed this um, a unique uh, uh, level of um, of autonomy uh, that. Um, they had played uh, a important role in the economy of the state, um, and there is an element of implied criticism um, that you know certain aspects of this relationship between the state and the Jews and mm. non Jewish. Um, um neighbors uh for lack of a better word uh since it's not yet uh, really fully a civic discourse but uh that that um Jews and non-Jews gentiles living together that that some elements of this relationship uh, need to be changed so that the country can do better in terms of administration and finances and taxation um but but he frames again, this this uh, interest that is both uh, 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 looking at the Jewish past through the Polish lens, as it were. Uh, you know, what's good for the Polish state? What is the role of this population that is ultimately seen as um, foreign? Um, mm-hmm. He does stress that Jews have, lived in Poland, in Polish lands for hundreds of years, but um, they are the guests that were uh, received. Um, Mm. But there is also, uh, because of the interest in the Jewish autonomy, uh, at least an opening, I think, to take interest in internal Jewish life. He doesn't do it. This is not part of the treaties. You know, this is not why he sets out, to write it, it's really a piece of work that is supposed to help statesmen uh, in mm. designing the best way of reforming um, yeah. uh, state institutions, but he he makes a gesture at the at the interesting curiosity about about Jewish internal Jewish uh, institutions. Mm. Um, And so uh, I found this little book. It's not a big read. It's really short. It's a booklet. Uh, um, Very, um, very fascinating how much, to what extent, uh, his mode of thinking um, had this long, long shadow and and influence that had far exceeded the political context in which he was writing. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, I... In in all this nineteenth century uh, writing, I think I was also quite interested in um, Alexander Kraushar, whom you mentioned, um, and and he takes on um, interest in Polish gentile relations, Jewish gentile relations, in legal status. Um, but but he is uh, far more invested uh, in going beyond the you know, prescriptive ideas for uh, how things, knowing history, should be um, used in designing the better uh, future. Right. Uh, right. It's much more, I think, um, looking at the past for past's sake, although... There is, of course, a sense that history is always in the service of, in some ways, you know, bringing understanding, uh, um, making the conversation between people living together on the same same soil, as it where it's often it's often repeated in this literature, how they could and should uh, know one another better, um, but it's. Um, it's more autonomous in a way, as a as a yeah, way of uh, historicizing.
2: That's, that, that's, I mean, Natalia, I'm really interested in how you um, describe in the 19th century, especially in the last decades, the development of schools of thought and the inclusion of, of research, you know, in, in Hebrew and Yiddish, especially the interpretation and incorporation of, of documents. Um, I wonder if, if you might describe for us the development of, of schools of thought. I wonder if that's a fair term, but you know, not just like at Jagiellonian University or in Warsaw, but there's people like Askenazi um, who mentor and, and shepherd, as you put it, um, almost an entire generation of Polish or Polonized Jewish intelligentsia. How How do you see that landscape of Academic, professional history, professional Polish Jewish history, developing. Is it is it one person? Is it a group of people? Is it a communal project where people are gathering the sources? How, how do you? I understand? would say
1: thank you. This is a great question. Actually, I would say all of the above, uh, but also you mentioning um, Ashkenazi or Ashkenazi uh, Shimon Ashkenazi. Uh, uh, it allows me to make a geographic uh, um, remark in in placing this um, the story of writing, but it's it's happening in a very concrete uh, uh, space of of borders that are a result of partitions. And while uh, Kraushar and Chatsky and Smolensky and and others that. Um, we didn't mention earlier are all scholars uh, writing in Warsaw, and in fact, this is the time when the first attempt at local history of of Jewish community in Warsaw is made. Uh, but Ashkenazi makes quite physically, quite literally, a, a, a journey from uh, Congress Poland to to Galicia to to Lwów, Lviv today, uh, Lemberg. Uh, at the time uh, for from the point of view of the um um from vienna uh, and and i think that this is an important aspect of of this um uh, tale uh, which is that the schools to some extent are related to uh, the place of intelligentsia in the context of various partitions and so right. there is a particular way of writing polish history and and polish Jewish history uh, in Warsaw um, which is to some extent conditioned by the Imperial Russian project and and is um, in conversation or rather an attempt to um, to create a voice vis-a-vis the Imperial Russian project and then the story in Galicia has, a very different conditioning, let alone the fact that from the second half of 19th century, the universities, the Jagiellonian University that you mentioned and, and the university in Lwów um, are polonized, something that is not quite the reality for aspiring intelligentsia in, in, uh, in Congress Poland. So uh, when Ashkenazi moves from from Congress Poland to Lwów, he creates or contributes or becomes a backbone of a school that um, in a way um, is centered on the Polish, patriotic Polish discourse, romantic Polish discourse, and he is very much the historian of the 19th century. And I must say as someone who grew up um, <laughs> reading um uh, historical books uh, in in Poland, he is he was such an amazing writer of the nineteenth century Romantic Polish history that that I think that his books still uh, have the power to inspire his uh, biography of uh, Prince um, Poniatowski. Um, so so in a way there is a geographic component, and then there is of course the component of uh, the audience, um, there is a component of uh, positioning of Polish-Jewish and Polish historiographies uh, in relationship to one another. And what is unique, I think, uh, for um, for Galicia, uh, especially at the turn of the end of 19th century, towards the end of 19th century, is that there is a number of Polish scholars Polish-Polish scholars who uh, are supportive of uh, the development of Polish-Jewish historiography with, a, with, a, with an understanding that this is something that Polish historiography needs. Um, and, and that is different from, let's say, what I mentioned earlier, um, uh, people like... Uh, I don't know, Alexander Maciejowski and 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 Czatzky himself uh, these Polish historians are not themselves interested in writing about the past of Polish Jews but they want that history to be written and they want that history to be written yeah. by yeah. scholars who can access Jewish sources exactly. um and you mentioned you mentioned sources I think in one of the previous Comments, um, you know, what do you, what do you need to read to reconstruct the past? And uh, while we might have many answers to this question now, but, you know, methodological, um, uh, ideas about it uh, are quite, um, well formulated uh, we're talking about a time when it's all very fluid so um, the fact that leading Polish historians at the Jagiellonian University at the Lwów University people who are uh, um, heads of major uh, archives um, are mm-hmm. encouraging young, young Jews uh, coming into university to study history to take on Jewish topics and um, As part of Polish uh, historiography, um, I think that also uh, marks a very important change um, in the status of, of that conversation.
0: Slash NBN fifty to get fifty percent off.
2: Yeah, I I wanted I wanted to ask that too because I'm I'm really fascinated um, in the middle of your book by this idea of a mainstream, and I guess I would becoming Polish mainstream is the title of, of one of your chapters, and it, it might be my favorite chapter. Um, Mine too. Yeah, because no, really, because I, I I honestly I mean this because I, I feel like. Um, there's this major shift that happens with the formation of the Second Polish Republic. I wonder if you could talk about that. I, I think maybe, you know, they are men, mostly, maybe even all men, but they have very interesting careers, which are somewhat traditional. I mean, some of them are, are still, you know, re, re involved, I guess, in the places from which they come, even when they leave Lwów or leave Galicia. So, like, how how is a mainstream formed once there is a Polish state? And I guess these are university-trained historians, ultimately, who who go full-fledged into the profession. But, but what precisely, are their,
1: what are their lives? Precisely, the the, uh, the there are two key aspects to it, and you nailed both of them. So I will just elaborate on what you already identified. Uh, one is that they're moving. Away from Galicia, and unlike Ashkenazi who came to Lwów to teach uh, and then left it when um, when the Second Polish Republic emerged from uh, the First World War, um, um, this generation of men—and yes, they were all men—Mayer uh, Bauban, uh, Moses Moshe Shor, and Ignacy Itzhak Sheper, uh, um, the the three uh, pioneering professional historians. Um, Again, unlike uh, this earlier generation, they were not autodidacts and not autodidacts uh, as historians. Um, And their credential was university diplomas of Lvov, of Vienna, and of Jagiellonian University. And that is what makes them mainstream. So in, in a way... Coming back to my, going back for just a second to my previous uh, answer, this mainstreaming starts before 1918 with encouraging the subfield of historiography, uh, with welcoming these men into the archives, writing for them, you know, all we know as part of the academic. Universe, uh, recommending them, uh, recommending them to people who might share documents with them or access to material, etc., etc. But but the main the the the, the mainstreaming of of Jewish Polish Jewish historical historical writing becomes really possible uh, in the Second Polish Republic, and this is again connected to a university as a as an essential institution uh, that grants uh the recognition uh, for the field and that is connected uh, with several people um especially with um Marcelli Handelsmann, handelsman uh, a fascinating figure of a, a very patriotic um Polish uh, Jewish intellectual uh, who thought of himself primarily as a as a Pole, um, who was instrumental in um, building um, Warsaw University uh, during the German occupation from 1915 on, and who had a very bold vision. Of bringing to this new department of humanities a variety of historians to build Warsaw University. Now this is a capital, right? This is not right. just a, right. a, a, a town in the somewhere somewhere on the on the outskirts of um, of the empire, but building this uh, essential site for training um, Polish uh, Polish historians. And so he uh, encourages people to to study and to study all kinds of all kinds of histories. Among these, history of Polish Jews. So one of the people that were very closely connected with him, and of whom I'm uh, sure uh, um, all of our listeners uh, would know, is um, Emanuel Ringelblum, the future um organizer mm. of uh, next Shabbat of Warsaw ghetto archive and then Handelsman does an even bolder thing uh, which is to invite uh yeah that's historians. my next
2: question who and well, why <laughs> get <yes>. invited
1: <laughs> so he invites and and i think that it's fascinating that it's not just jewish history he invites Meyer Bauban uh in 1927 um to uh, teach, uh, this is a state university, it doesn't have the system of, of chairs. But Balaban is specifically brought to teach uh, Jewish history, and, and he does teach uh, Polish Jewish history for the most part. But uh, Handelsman invites also uh, um, Miron Cordoba to teach Ukrainian. History. Mm-hmm. So this is, uh, in, a, in yeah. a way, this inclusive vision of yeah. of the Polish past, which is not just the past of ethnic Poles, not just a pa- past of Catholic Poles, but it's a past of all kinds of inhabitants of the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth and then partitioned Polish lands. And so Balaban finds himself in Warsaw uh, first... Uh, to teach at the newly formed um, high school for uh, traditional Jews who uh, pursue traditional education and train as rabbi, but they also receive secular training as part of it. And he's responsible for their secular training. And there are fascinating stories about the clashing of -hmm. of his worldview with more orthodox members of the faculty. Mojżesz Shor, who um, sometime uh, during, uh, during the First World War becomes more of a, um, a scholar of Semitic languages than a scholar of Polish Jewish history, comes to Warsaw to teach uh, in the Department of um, Oriental Studies. And Ignacy Itzhak-Szyper, comes to Warsaw as part of his political career. And, I, and this, is, this is this geographic, spatial, political aspect of the story, while Galicia was a welcoming site um, of, of uh, conversation about Jewish and Polish Jewish past and Sam Caso and, um, and Rachel Manekin wrote about it um, uh, wow. in their own work. Now in the new state... It is Warsaw that really mm-hmm. offers the opportunity. Right.
2: I and I, I guess I'm curious. You know, I know you've written about this elsewhere, Natalia, uh, about professionalization and the extent to which it's inclusive and open, and also, you know, how many women are, are taking part in this and I being was, trained. I so wanted could, to
1: mention could women. You, could
2: you could you talk about Baubon and you know his like? I remember the story of the Festschrift, but it's also. The seminars that he had at the Institute of Jewish Studies at Warsaw University—you have this marvelous part about um, Clara Minksberg, I think was her name—and yes. and the oral interview. So, you know, tell us—are are these institutes actually welcoming women's history and women's studies? Is—is is it? What I mean, what is it? What was life like in those? seminars in, in Warsaw, but, you know, also YIVO and YIVO Institute in Vilna. Do you, do you think that they were, they were inclusive? And um, how,
1: I think they were inclusive. Um, um, I'm not entirely sure that they were consciously, um, um, inclusive, uh, you know, um, uh, going out of their way to, uh, encourage women. Uh, but, um, Just like you mentioned before, that generation uh, in uh, early 20th century uh, Galicia are all men. And then when we look at the the young historians that come to play a role in this mainstream 1920s and 1930s uh, Second Polish Republic um, historical profession, Uh, Roughly one-third of Baoban's uh, students are women. Uh, These are women who receive an uh, MA or a doctoral degree in uh, history writing on uh, Jewish topics. Um, And uh, what what I know, um, in some ways, you know, the nature of researching the um, some aspect of aspects of social life of, of uh, Polish Jews before the Holocaust is limited by the kinds of uh, documents that survived, especially the kinds of personal mm. narratives. Letters, um, yeah.
2: Memoirs, I, letters,
1: I was, I would love to have uh, come across, uh, you know, exchanges of letters of, Former students yeah. of uh Mayer uh, But I was still able to find some traces uh, in memoirs, in oral interviews, what you mentioned. So what I found fascinating about Bauban, um, was the way that he was consciously drawing, drawing students in and consciously making the connection between them and their personal biographies. Um, and this was also working well for his um, understanding of building the field, something that he shared with other, uh, with Shore and Shipper, uh, also Philip Friedman, uh, who um, uh, plays an important role in um, as a pioneer of uh, Holocaust uh, scholarship, but comes out of this milieu as well, uh, of Raphael Mahler, which is local histories. And so Baubaban has this way of, um, and there are several uh, accounts of it, how in the first seminars he would ask students where they come from and then uh, tell stories about the history of Jewish community in these towns and sometimes even pick names of the students and um, you know come up with anecdotes about... Uh, famous Jews that uh, bore the same last name. Um, and and I thought it was an interesting pedagogical tool uh, to make them feel intimate uh, mm-hmm. in, in the context of uh, the history of Polish Jewry. Now, I'm not entirely sure um, how the process, you know, I have the list of topics that his students wrote about, um, uh, the fest drift you mentioned that that has this lift list and i found student records so i was able to to some extent um map out that new generation uh that for the most part um was murdered uh, in a holocaust yeah. uh, the new generation of scholars um uh, but also teachers and and journalists and um and pedagogues, and and so I wonder often to what extent Bauaban likely assigned topics to his students. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is somewhat based on my own personal experience in the 1990s when students were not yet free to choose whatever they wanted mm-hmm. to write about. Right. But but I thought it was also very smart because if you were, um, in a case of, for example, Brode, there is a wonderful monograph on the history of Jews in in Brode, written by David Wurm, who ended up being a teacher in a local gymnasium there after he graduated. Um, You know, if you came from this town, you knew uh, who had the chronicle of the community, who might have had some documents from the past, whom to ask uh, to to have these documents for two nights and copy. And, um, And much of this work to some extent at least preserved uh, documents that um that disappeared um, mm-hmm. uh, a few years later during the war um and so even if this was not um spontaneous choice of his students uh, it seems, or it reads, uh, when you put together the, the topics and the biographies to the extent, again, that we can reconstruct them from student files, uh, this seems like an extremely personal uh, list of, right. of, of entry into into the field. And that goes uh, both for male and, and female students. And there is one a student that I have a particularly strong connection with, uh, Sarah Eisenstein, who wrote um, with Bauaban as her advisor, um, a dissertation about um, the history of Jewish and Polish women in the early modern period in the 17th and 18th century. Um, and it's an extremely... Um, um, Explicitly uh, um, demanding change, kind of a thesis. Um, Mm -hmm. And and again, it it would be fascinating to know whether this was something that she came to her professor with, uh, because the whole thesis is about how we need to explore the, the past of women more and they cannot and should not be just dismissed and the history is ultimately history of men um, and how we need to look for sources and it might be difficult uh, because the sources are for that yeah. period are created by men. When I mean, you read it and and it reads uh, like a, a kind of manifesto that um, would be written in the early 90s um, and yeah. so it's fascinating. That's interesting. Yeah. It's fascinating to, to, I guess, just raise a question whether, whether Bauaban, uh, you know, a man of that generation might have been um, interested in this uh, or even initiated it, or was he simply willing to guide that kind of a topic? And mm. in the manuscript, um, these thesis and dissertations, are partially typed, but most of them are handwritten, which I actually very much enjoyed working mm-hmm. in the archives. I, I felt that this gave me uh, some kind of intimate moment of encounter with the authors. Mm-hmm. And there are some comments with a red pencil that Bauaban makes on the margins, uh, but he doesn't seem to tone down um, the voice of calling for a new kind of perspective. Um, the history of Polish Jews.
2: And, and, and I guess, you know, I, I did want to ask you a question about the public aspect of this. And I mean, people have to read your book because there, there are so many journals and I guess da- even dailies that are covered sometimes with subscriptions in the, the thousands or tens of thousands. I, I mean, how in the, the 1930s, especially like after the Kuczynski coup and so forth, is public outreach conceived? I, you mentioned Bawabon and, and how important it was, you know, for professors at universities to get beyond the ivory tower, um, become involved in, in curricula and sort of even in rabbinical schools and things like that. So, I mean, what's the story in in the 1930s with Polish Jewish historians? Do you feel or do you sense that? the outreach that began with YIVO and the Institute of Jewish Studies was, was strong? I mean, was there a moment in time when the professionals who, you know, started in the Second Republic felt threatened or somehow the state was interfering? I mean,
1: how, how did that,
2: you know, sort of professional world turn into a public world in, in the 1930s, before 1939?
1: Yeah, that that is one of the key questions I think in that book, um, and and the conversation in a way that I I have with um, with the work of other historians who worked on the on Polish Jewish culture in the in the thirties, um, and it's something that remains for me open you now. Whether this was this whole um, um, idea of and and the and the sense of necessity of writing Polish Jewish history was it. Despite mainstreaming main st- of it, despite being allowed into university, um, um, was did it remain um, a counterculture of sorts? Uh, Sam Caso actually use, uses the term uh, counter profession, and right. um, stressing the fact that they still remained um, marginalized. I. Take, I, I take a little bit more of an inclusive uh, view of it. I think that they were, they truly were mainstreamed, and that some of the difficulties um, that Jewish uh, graduates of, um, of Warsaw University, especially, but to some extent of, of the university in Vilna, back then Vilnius, today, Stefan Batory University had uh, was in fact shared by uh, by non-jewish students um, likely being Jewish didn't help with employment. but uh, but um, there was there was an access of um, intelligentsia, especially in humanities, uh, mm-hmm. especially in a context of uh, the economic uh, crisis in 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 more general terms. Uh, but putting aside this question of whether, being able to publish in some major Polish journals, um, a few of of the historians being able to publish their books uh, with um, with grants coming from general uh, Polish uh, uh, sources. Um, to what? Where do we draw the line of making it, as it were? Um, right. They clearly uh, also see themselves as public intellectuals and. And again, this is something that I find um, extremely um, relevant uh, for the professional uh, uh, for our professional life as historians today. And the fact that these are minority historians, you know, mm. what does it mean for minority historians to be public historians and to uh, share their research uh, with a variety of audiences, both? Jewish and and not Jewish. Uh, I don't want to say Polish because Poland, Polish Republic is a multi, uh, um, second Polish Republic is a multi-ethnic state. It's not just Poles and Jews. It's Ukrainians, Belarusians, Lithuanians, um, Germans, Czechs. So there is a, a whole range of audiences, and I think that they have, aside from um, no lack of. Uh, uh, positions at universities and and uh, limited chances um, of employment. They have a genuine interest in speaking to the broader public. Um, and you mentioned um, rabbis. Um, I look at in the book at military rabbis as one particular uh, um, channel, one particular venue in preaching, as it were, uh, a particular vision of Jewish past. to to Polish Jewish men who had been drafted into the Polish army. Mm. And um, looking at the text of the oath that the um, rabbis, military rabbis prepare, looking at the kind of sermons that they're being uh, given, but also sermons that rabbis give to schoolchildren that are brought to synagogues on Polish national holidays, uh, and how all these Um, our efforts to weave together Jewish past and Polish past. So, for example... Polish uh, Polish Jewish soldiers are the new Maccabees. On the one hand, hmm. uh, right. Um, that's
2: that's an interesting analogy. I didn't. I never thought of it that way. Yeah. Um,
1: well, it's explicitly stated in um, uh, in some of the texts, but at the same time, they follow. Uh, and maybe this is much more uh, predictable. They follow uh, the the wonderful tradition of Berk Yoselevich, right? the beloved, uh, patriotic, uh, uh, traditional Jew on a horse fighting in the Polish mm-hmm. uh, insurrections right. uh, against uh, Russia. I mean, what, what can be better? Uh, so so they kind of position Polish Jews uh, both in the context of broader Jewish um, past and then very specific Polish Jewish past. And that is repeated in textbooks, um, in, in speeches, in sermons, in... Um, Um, articles published by dailies Um, now the question that I have is the extent to which this actually uh, convinced people the the extent to which it spoke to people spoke to Jewish audience um, and I think it did I think that what we see uh, well during the Holocaust uh, if we look at the texts written by uh, by many Jews during the Holocaust diaries testimonies they write about themselves as Polish Jews and i think this is the product not only of education in Polish state schools where the vast majority of Jewish children uh, received their education despite fascinating experimentation with with Jewish schooling networks of various political uh, stripes, Um, but it is also the work of this public history um, happening over 20 years. Um, And the other question is, to what extent this discourse of Jews belonging in Poland, being at home in Poland, not being guests for 800 years, um, Mm. contributing, to what extent it convinces Polish audience, Polish non-Jewish audience? Mm -hmm. And from that's,
2: that's a great question. I I guess, you know, can I ask if you if you might recommend works that that people might might read on this? I mean, I I know you have Bartal, for instance, and Gershon 100. But what what would you say, Natalia, that people could read in in order to understand this tension of, of integrationism and assimilation?
1: Oh, this is, this is fascinating. Uh, well, the, the most recent uh, book that I found uh, just um, wonderfully complicating the story, and it takes place in Galicia, uh, so in a way it also explains, I think, to some extent, the uniqueness of, of that part of Polish-Jewish um, heritage is uh, Rachel Manekin's uh, The Rebellion of the Daughters, And um, uh, and it came out just now um, with um, Princeton University Press. The subtitle is Jewish Women Runaways in Habsburg, Galicia. And what she shows, um, I think very compellingly, is how Polish education um, in in, uh, primary schools and in particular in gymnasia in the early 20th century how it reshapes the generation of young Jewish women um, and how they really become um, almost implicitly uh, culturally integrated um, individuals, uh, but uh, also creating a tremendous tension against the gender line because this is Mm -hmm. the kind of education that young women are allowed to, even from very traditional families, but their brothers would not. Um, Exactly,
2: yeah. Now,
1: I think that in in a way, this is a part of the conversation about integration and the pull and the the push uh, and the attractiveness of Polish culture, but also the danger of it the danger of it in a sense also that um, the integration is um, not really happening uh, as an experience of many of these uh, um, women and men. Um, uh, but by focusing on women, I think Rachel um, Rachel's book um, uh, does uh, put a very interesting new angle and there is a um, uh, Agnieszka Jagodzińska is sort of on the other geographic end because she focuses on Warsaw and she looks at the younger or, or older rather generation is the um, a book of Jag- Agnieszka Jagodzińska uh, in between that looks mm-hmm. at the kind of cultural changes happening um, in dress, in um, um, uh, a uh, cultural interests um, among among Warsaw, in particular warsaw Jews. Mm-hmm. but Thank but you. yeah highly recommended and these in a way are sort of archaeology of the generation that my book focuses on, which are people that come of age or and, and are already schooled uh, in the post world War I uh, mm-hmm. second Polish Republic.
2: Fabulous, Natalia. And really, you know, we've covered so much ground and I could talk to you for hours. <laughs> um,
1: Likewise. But,
2: but we, we've got about a minute and a half. Could you tell us about your current project or projects? Oh, what, you're, what you're working on? please.
1: With pleasure. So um, I uh, now am uh, working on two book manuscripts and they are very different in a way. One, uh, one in One kind of was, I was led into it by um, David uh, David Wurm, whom I mentioned, a student of Bauaban who was uh, um, teaching in Brode and was shot in the summer of 1941, um, uh, very shortly after the uh, entrance of, uh, attack of, uh, of Germany against the Soviet Union. Um, but uh, it looks at daily life in hiding in in Eastern Galicia. Eastern Galicia because it has a very particular um, uh, ethnic makeup uh, between Poles, Ukrainians, and and Jews and Germans, of course, in very much uh, shaping uh, shaping the story. Um, um, Omer Bartov uh, uh, did um, a fantastic job looking at uh, Buchach, but I'm focusing on uh, on the time when people are seeking uh, hiding places and um, and all of Eastern Galicia, especially actually in rural contexts and uh, seeing very interesting continuities or or effects of. Um, neighborly relations during the before the war so just give you one example uh, Jewish physicians who are mm-hmm. uh, often hidden by their uh, often um, very poor uh, peasant patients and the pattern seems to be a peasant whose wives likely in labor were saved by Jewish doctors um, who did not take money for their service and then these um These former patients are feel tremendous sense of indebtedness. It's of course not a simple story, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. uplifting story of of goodness and gratitude. But that's just one of the stories in which the relations before the war uh, shape the strategies and the chances for survival. And then the second book uh, is. it's quite an adventure because it's um, it's a comparative study that uh, looks at Poland, uh, Romania, Austria, and Czechoslovakia, but more specifically uh, Slovakia, and at the conflict uh, over dissections uh, in the interwar period when Christian students or they describe themselves as such or Romanian, Polish, Slovak students demand that Jewish students uh, uh, should not be allowed to dissect non-Jewish medical bodies uh, in Mm. the process of their training as physicians and pressure Jewish communities to be forced to provide um, Jewish medical bodies uh, for dissections as a condition for the uh, for the training of of Jewish students as future my goodness. physicians,
2: I I, I I will read that. <laughs> let, me know, <laughs> let, me know when, let me know when you're finished. Um, yes, that's... it's it's
1: quite it's quite remarkable. And if I have another minute, I will I will share how I came across it because it's connected with my historians. So I was reading fifteen, it
2: was, 15 seconds. Go.
1: Yes, I was reading a report on the the situation at the university. Um, On one page, there was the Dean of Humanities uh, talking about what's going on. And on the other side of the same booklet was the Dean of Medical School saying, this semester was peaceful because we received a a provision of Jewish brains from the hospital at Chispa, And so the cadaver affair was quite uh, peaceful. And I thought to myself, cadaver (laughs) affair? Jewish brains? And that's Uh, how the book started.
2: That's your teaser. that's 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 your teaser for the book.
1: Absolutely.
2: Look, look, Natalia, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on New Books Network. I'm Stephen Siegel. We've been speaking with Natalia Alexiun about her new book. It's called Conscious History, Polish-Jewish Historians Before the Holocaust, published by Liverpool University Press and the Litman Library of Jewish Civilization 2021 Gratulazia. Thank you, Natalia, Thank for you. joining Thank you. me. Yeah. And I'm your host here, Stephen Siegel, on the New Books Network. Thanks for joining us. Until next time. 18- plus.